Well, good evening. It's, uh, it's such a joy to be back amongst you. I've been looking forward very much to coming. I've got great memories of being here just months ago. Uh, it's almost a year ago, but it's still just months ago now. And um, I'm looking forward to what the Lord will do. So, um, are you enjoying the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. He's enjoyable, isn't he? My wife uh, one time met me. This was a couple of years ago. She, I was hurriedly going around grabbing my things, and I was ready to run out the door. And I can't remember if it was for a trip or just to run an errand. I don't remember. Um, but I, was, I had my things, and I was getting ready to run out the door. And then all of a sudden, there she was. And she put her hands on my face, just like this, and looked into my eyes, and then planted this massive kiss on me, right? I like being married. And, and so she gives me this huge kiss, and then she, she comes back like this, and I'm just kind of standing there like this. And, uh, and then she said, I couldn't think of another way to get your attention. And, and I guess she was trying to get my attention, and I wasn't listening. Uh, very specifically, my prayer for every one of you this weekend is that, is that the Lord will use these discussions to get your attention and to draw you into a deeper a far more delightful intimacy with the Lord Jesus than you've ever experienced before in your life. Does that sound good? Yeah, boy, I feel like such a toddler in the things of God. When I come to the Lord in prayer, I've been saying this to the Lord over and over again recently, I just feel like a toddler with empty hands coming to the Lord, nothing to offer, um, but, but with a heavenly Father that so delights in listening to the prayers of His children. And it's just such a, it's such a joy. Okay, so that being said, let's, uh, let's jump into our topic here. Point number one in my outline for tonight, point number one is that the Lord Jesus expects prayer. The Lord Jesus expects prayer. Now, we're going to look at, at verse after verse tonight, but I just want to rattle through a few just to make this point. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, And when you pray, but when you pray, and when you pray, this then is how you should pray. Luke 11. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples, dot, 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 that they should always pray. Now that's just barely scratching the surface. And I just wanted to simply briefly make that point, that the Lord Jesus expects prayer of every one of his children. Now, to further make that point, go to Colossians chapter 4, if you would. Colossians chapter 4. And verse number 2. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 2 says this. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. One translation uh, states that this way. Devote yourselves to prayer. So here's the question. If Jesus Christ came tonight, and it was unmistakably Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Uh, You recognize the holes, right? And it was unmistakably him. And if he appeared in this auditorium 
And then he looked into one after another into our faces and said, I want you to go home and with whatever time you have left in this life, I want you to devote yourself to prayer. Would you have to change your prayer life if the Lord did that? That's a good answer. I think I would have to change my prayer life. And I'm, I'm saying this just to make the simple point that that's exactly what's happening, right? Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. This is the written Word of God. There's no discrepancy between the written Word of God and the living Word of God. And so, I mean, I'm not going to retrace the doctrine of inerrancy and the doctrine of inspiration and all of this. But we take this as the Lord speaking to us, right? And so he says, continue earnestly in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. And then he even gives us an example in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now here's a biblical prayer request. That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So if you're taking notes, this is all going to be under point number one, the Lord Jesus expects prayer. But the, this, this would be the activity of prayer. Or if you wanted to expand it, the physical activity of prayer. The physical activity of prayer is commanded of every follower of Jesus Christ. Devote yourselves to prayer. Continue earnestly in prayer. Do you remember the story in Exodus chapter 17 of the Amalekites attacking the children of Israel? You're going through Exodus now, right? What chapter are you on? You still early? Oh, so you covered Exodus 17. Good, good. So you all remember the story of Exodus 17 and the Amalekites coming. And it's such a beautiful picture, isn't it? The Amalekites come around the rear ranks and they attack the people of God. And whether they won or lost in the valley was solely determined on the intercessor standing on the mountain. Do you remember? This is such a vital point in the scriptures. So while he had his hands raised to the Lord, there was victory in the valley, right? You can't help, at least I can't help, but think of Luke 18. Pray and faint not. Pray and keep praying. Pray and don't stop praying. And so here you have this physical illustration. And then, of course, what, what's the problem with prayer? Well, it's a labor. It's a, it's a burden, if you're quite frank about it. There's times that you don't want to pray. There's times you're not disciplined enough to pray. We'll talk about all these things. Your hands grow weary in prayer. And so you have Aaron and Hur, right? Aaron's the high priest of the day. Does our high priest hold up our hands in prayer? Romans chapter 8, he's our intercessor, right? Our high priest. And then Hur in the Hebrew it means light, right? So you have this picture of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, he's an intercessor as well. So we have these two omnipotent intercessors, holding up our hands in prayer. If I could get the entire church of North America together and, and give one message, I'm 95% sure that I would speak on prayer. Now, I, I enjoy coming here. Um, I'm just going to be very open with you and very blunt. I enjoy coming here. I, of course, I see things on the surface, right? I don't know the detailed inner workings of this assembly. But what I see is life and health and spiritual leaders that are leading spiritually. I don't want to embarrass them, but that's what I see. 
I see outreaches of multiple different kinds. Um, I see little kids, you know, running around. I see all of these reasons why, why I love coming here. And so in my mind, the picture of Boulevard Bible Chapel is a picture of health. Praise the Lord. But I also travel all over North America and beyond when the Lord gives opportunity, but mostly on this continent of ours. And I just want to tell you tonight, for the purpose of the Lord's work in your life, that we're just dying out there. An elder that I know that was, was kind of the spark plug in his assembly, he's going to be sentenced to life in prison in the next number of months, sometime coming up before too long. A young couple that I know that were definitely the spark plug in their assembly in North America, um, they signed their divorce papers a week ago. Um, I could go on and on and on. Another young couple that I know in the Midwest, they met at camp. Uh, they wanted to serve the Lord together. He still very much wants to serve the Lord together. They started partaking in Christian freedoms, at least that's what they would call them. Uh, they got swept away into um, to further and further down that road. He eventually started coming back. She didn't. And they signed their divorce papers a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm not going to keep going. There's no point in it. But I'm just going to try to tell you... Um, I was talking with Mike Atwood yesterday on the phone before we prayed, and I said to Mike, um, am I crazy to think that we're on a cruise ship that is sinking? And, uh, and he said, no, we're the Titanic. That was his response, word for word. And, and this is as accurate a picture as I can paint for you. Um, we're getting killed out there. We're getting killed out there. We're getting killed out there. And you come on Sunday morning and breaking of bread is this size and then family Bible hour is this size and then prayer meeting is this size. And it's just so overwhelmingly clear that we're not a people of prayer. He said, devote yourselves to prayer. And when push comes to shove, we devote ourselves to soccer. And we teach our kids that that's more important than prayer. We, when push comes to shove, we devote ourselves to so many things other than prayer. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I don't know another way to emphasize it besides that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that we're doing it right in Topeka. But I'm just going to tell you that we have found that anything that you let compete with prayer wins. And so for our midweek prayer meeting, all we do is pray. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way to do it, and I'm not saying we're doing it right. But in, a, in an attempt to continue earnestly in prayer to devote ourselves to prayer, that's what we've decided to do. We just get together and we pray on, on those Wednesday nights. Somehow, we have to take this whole subject of, of prayer seriously. In, in fact, in the history of my assembly, there's two distinct Topekas. There was a time where we were characterized by activity and fruitlessness. Um, kids work door-to-door, fair ministry, I mean, just on and on and on. Activity and fruitlessness. And then there was a time when we were all extremely convicted about the fruitlessness in the assembly. And um, I can still picture this, a group of us standing around discussing it. And um, it was a Sunday. And we said, the Bible churches in town are preaching the gospel and seeing people saved. The charismatic church in town is preaching the gospel and seeing people saved. The Baptist churches are preaching the gospel and seeing people saved. We're not seeing anything. Um, and we just knew, and I know that this was from the Lord. He confirmed it so many times. We knew with an all-powerful God that desires that none should perish 
And with a gospel that's the power of God unto salvation, the problem was, was with us. Um, and I'm, I'm leaving out a ton of details here, um, but I'm trying to just give you the Cliff's Notes version. Um, the Lord brought a brother through our assembly four days later on a Sunday. His name is, um, I'll leave his name out, but uh, he's commended from an assembly here in North America. It was the first time he'd ever visited our assembly in his life. He knew nothing about our assembly. He was coming to speak at a conference at an assembly about an hour away. We heard he was coming, asked him if he would come through. So here he is standing in our pulpit on a Wednesday night, four days after we have this discussion. You want to know what his message was for us? The rebuke against Israel for fruitlessness. That was his message. And we sat there under tremendous conviction. It was really painful. It felt like being stabbed by the sword of the word of God. And, um, and we knew the Lord was speaking to us. Anyways, um, I'm going to leave out all the details. It's a long and beautiful story. But I just want to, to draw this point. There are two distinct Topekas in the last 15 years where I come from. There's the activity-driven, fruitless Topeka. And then there's the prayer-driven, fruitful Topeka. Um, and that is one massive lesson that, that our assembly learned in its, in its history. So here, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. You look at how things are going, um, and we're getting killed out there. We're falling apart. Another assembly split um, this week uh, in North America, an assembly that used to be such a, such a vibrant testimony for the Lord, and now they're, they're a fraction of what they were, and they just, this week. Um, we're just getting killed out there. And then you look at us, and you have to evaluate honestly, are we a people of prayer, or are we not a people of prayer? And my overwhelming observation, and I know I'm not the only one, is that, that we're not a people of prayer, and we're losing the battle in the valley. Um, so that's the activity of prayer. Go to the right, uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you would. To the right in your Bibles, a couple pages, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We have a familiar and, again, beautiful little verse here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 17. Pray without ceasing. Pray and don't stop praying. Now, the first thing we noticed in the Word of God is, is the activity of prayer. This is not the activity of prayer. He is not telling the followers of God to go into your prayer closets and begin the activity of prayer and never come out, right? He's not saying that. There's so much more to the Christian life in terms of physical activity than just being in a prayer closet. A prayer closet, of course, praise the Lord. We need those, but there's so much more. This is the relationship of prayer. So it's a loving Heavenly Father and a child of God that longs after His loving Heavenly Father. Have you ever gotten down on your face before the Lord and so enjoyed your time with the Lord Jesus in prayer, that at the end of it, you said, thank you that I don't have to say goodbye to you when I get up off of my face. Have you ever done that? It's a joy, isn't it? That you don't have to say goodbye and then hope that you can make it back to where you're on your face and can enjoy intimacy with Him again. He goes with you. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? It's the relationship of prayer. So I already talked about the fact that it's a command, but here it's a relationship. So if I didn't stand up here and tell you that it's a command, I wouldn't be doing my job. 
biblically. It's a command. And if you're not obeying that, then you're disobeying your Lord, the one who gives, a, who gives commands. But it's a relationship of love. Uh, if I were to go away this weekend and never one time call my wife, not one time, and then, and then I come home on Monday night, would I have a happy wife or an unhappy wife? Anybody? Wise people in the audience. Good, <laughs> good. Yeah, unhappy wife. Okay, that's because there's an expectation of communication, very simply, right? So I know it's a little bit different than a command, but I think you'll get my point. If I went away and never talked to her, first of all, what if I went home and never talked to her for a week? And she came down to my office and she said, Scott, what's wrong? I know couples that do this. And it, what if I refuse to communicate with my wife? Would you feel bad for her? It's a relationship, right? And so it is a command. It absolutely is a command. But it's a command of love. It's an expectation of communication. It's amazing in the Christian life that we're commanded to do the most joyful things that we'll ever experience in our life. Did you catch that? What a joy. It's like being commanded to love your wife. My wife came to me one time, and, and she was very honest, which I appreciated. And she said, she said, sometimes, um, she said sometimes you live your Christian life in such a way that I feel like the kids and I are in your way. That's an important thing to hear as a husband, right? And then I, I will go and I look at 1 Peter 3.7 and, and these different verses that explain to me as a husband what I'm supposed to be. And then I turn from what I've been doing, right, which were good things. But I turn and realize not only does a godly husband honor Christ in the workplace and be faithful to the assembly, but a godly husband sits and pays attention to his wife. He listens. He prays with her. It all implies time. So the Bible commands me to date my wife. And then as soon as I start dating my wife, by dating I mean like split a 50 cent hamburger. I mean you don't have to spend money. It's a time commitment, right? And so um, when I start dating my wife, then I realize, wow, this is exactly what I need. Have you ever lived that? And then kids, right? Kids can be a frustration and an irritation. You can discipline out of pure selfishness. But then you realize, okay, as a godly father, what am I supposed to be? And then you give yourself to that, and eventually you end up in a park, and with everything else in life that's swirling and everything is going crazy, you're sitting in a park watching your kids laugh and run around and playing with them, and then you realize before the Lord, this is what I need too. So in other words, if you give yourself to what God commands, it ends up being the most overwhelmingly joyful thing. And prayer is that same thing. I consider prayer to be one of the most joyful privileges and experiences of the Christian life. You ask the Lord something, and then He reaches down out of the heavens and does that which only He can do. When's the last time that you saw the Lord do that? I hope it hasn't been long. This is the will of God for us, to pray. And it's the will of God for Him to answer our prayers as we pray according to his name. We'll talk about this, this all weekend long. I was sitting at Vessels of Honor. Has anybody here been to Vessels of Honor? Okay. Uh, in the Midwest, it's a youth, it's a youth conference. Um, you have to be 18 to go. It's a very serious-minded 
young people. Uh, they come now from all over North America, and it's such a joy to work with these young people. And um, so I was one of three speakers. We got an email a couple days before the conference that one of the three might not be able to make it. Now, that's okay, right? You learn as you do this. You learn the Lord's the one that gives you the messages. So if he wants you to do more messages, then he'll give you the messages. And that's all that means. It means you have to do a couple more plenary sessions, um, another seminar, you know, things like that. And so you just have to come up with material, basically. So I'm sitting at my desk on Sunday morning at Vessels of Honor. I have to speak a plenary session in about an hour. And I'm sitting there with a blank piece of paper at my desk. And I just prayed, Lord, please show me what you'd have me to speak on. I had an idea in my head already, and I'm just looking through the scriptures. My wife uh, ran off to breakfast, and she came back with um, breakfast for me. And I, as close to physically inhaling it as possible uh, was what I did. I just, I mean, I probably ate the whole thing in, in 40 seconds. I mean, just as fast as I could swallow it. And then I went right back to my desk. And then she left, right? She went to go get her own breakfast and sit, sit with the folks over there. And then I said to the Lord, I was just sitting there, and I said to the Lord, um, you fed your servant Elijah. When, when he was tired, by the way, this was the end of May for me. This was the end of a, one of the craziest months of my life. I just went from event to event to event all, all throughout May. And um, I was with my family for a lot of it, um, but it's just one after another. And um, anyways, I was exhausted. I was tired. I, just was, I was just exhausted. So I'm sitting there, and I say to the Lord, you fed Elijah when he was tired, when he was discouraged. Um, you sent the ravens, and you fed your servant. It is not below your servant or below you to feed your servant. And then I said, you fed Peter. After he failed you, you made Peter breakfast. It is not below you. To, to feed your servant. And then I don't know what you, you'll think of this. This was incredibly precious to me, so much so that at the beginning, I didn't even want to tell anybody. I just wanted to keep it between the Lord and me. But I said to the Lord, I would really like to have a cup of coffee. Um, I like coffee. Um, and then I said, would you please send a cup of coffee to my room? And I just left it with the Lord. In about 30 seconds or a minute, something like that. And there was one of the Lord's people with a cup of coffee at my door. And it meant a tremendous amount to me that in the craziness of my life and trying to prepare and be used of God to bring his message to his people, that he would send a cup of coffee to my room. That meant a tremendous amount to me. That he loves me, he watches me, he listens to me. He's more than just willing to respond to my prayers. A little filthy sinner. I'm more disgusted with my sin today than I ever have been before in my life. By far. I realize more infinite, well not infinite, I don't want to exaggerate, many, many, many times more how badly I needed to be saved today than I ever used to. And how deep sin goes how disgusting my responses are, maybe if, even if it's just in my, me, my mind or in my heart. And here, this God loves me and will listen to me and will respond to me and will send a, a cup of coffee to my room. Anyways, um, all I'm saying is, are you enjoying the relationship of prayer? 
between, between a child of God and a loving Heavenly Father. Now, while we're on this subject, um, go to the book of James, if you would, in chapter 4. We'll talk more about this as the weekend goes on, but I just want to look quickly at this thought of relationship. James chapter 4. In verse number 2. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Prayerlessness. That's what I would call that. You do not have because you do not ask. Prayerlessness. Now keep going. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. What does the living God call this in verse number four? Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously now just notice the relationship again we'll talk more about this passage as the weekend goes on but just notice the relationship he says covetousness prayerlessness selfishness and worldliness is adultery my family and i are reading through the old testament um, scriptures right now we're actually reading through the bible chronologically as a family my kids are 15 and 13 and it's been the most delightful thing to be on the same passages as a family day after day. You know what they're reading, and, and the Spirit of God brings up certain subjects. It's, it's great. But boy, this entire reading through the Old Testament, the one main thing that has resoundingly stood out in my mind, this God hates idolatry. And this God calls idolatry adultery. To him, that's what it is. It's a relationship. And here, you're in the New Testament, our dispensation, and he says the same thing. Covetousness, prayerlessness, selfishness, and worldliness is adultery. It's cheating on the Lord. So please let me say as compassionately as I possibly can and as graciously as I can, on behalf of the second member of the Godhead, if the Spirit of God puts his finger on you tonight and you realize that you have not even come close in many cases, to having prayer be what it should be in your life, if you're neglecting prayer, then the living God says that is cheating on Jesus Christ, that that is a form of adultery. And the response that needs to take place is repentance. He says it right in this passage. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. I'm not going to keep going. But boy, if you, if you realize tonight I'm a prayerless person for all practical purposes, just repent. I actually wrote this on my notes for an, a later message, but I'm going to say it now. Um, maybe you would honestly, between you and the Lord, maybe you would say tonight, Lord, I'm willing to be willing. Have you ever said that to the Lord? Maybe you're not willing to just stand up and repent, Right? I repent of my adultery. But maybe, you, maybe you're willing to say to the Lord, 
Um, I'm not the person of prayer that Jesus Christ is and was. And I don't know that I'm completely willing just to lay it all down, but I'm willing to be made willing. Lord, would you please make me willing? Do you know what I mean by that? Would you please work in my life to make me the person of prayer? I've been praying for years now. Lord, please teach me to pray. And I still feel like a toddler playing in a baby pool on the beach beside the ocean. Like I'm enjoying the baby pool, but there's so much more to enter into than what I've lived so far and what I understand so far. There's things that I'm experiencing that I wouldn't even talk about right now because I don't understand them. The Bible needs to define our experience. But boy, it's a joy to be in this process of learning more from the living God about prayer and enjoying intimacy with Him. All I'm doing, if that startles you at all, all I'm doing is seeking after Jesus Christ. It's really that simple. I want Him. He knows that this is true. I want Him more than I want anything. He is our portion, and He is the great aspiration of eternity. And by His grace, He's convinced me that that's true. So, so are you enjoying a relationship with the living God in prayer? If you're ignoring that aspect of your relationship, then you're cheating on Jesus Christ. The Lord takes that. He takes that very seriously. Okay, um, 1 Peter. Go to the right again, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4 and verse number 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. So simply put, the end of all things is at hand. These people are in the midst of, of various trials. They're headed into fiery trials. This is Nero's day. So Christians were being taken out of their homes. They would tie their hands behind a pole. They would pour a, a kind of like a tar-like substance over their bodies, light them on fire, and Nero and his dignitaries would walk through his gardens, which were being lit by the burning bodies of the followers of Jesus Christ. So the end of all things is at hand. That might be because of persecution. The end of all things is at hand. You have no idea how much time, how much time you have before the Lord takes you home. The end of all things is at hand. We have no idea when Jesus Christ is going to come back. The end of all things is at hand. If you live till you're 80, you're going to look back and it's going to feel like it was a blink, right? So regardless of any circumstance in your life, the end of all things is at hand. And so what does he say in light of that? Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now, I just want to ask in all simplicity tonight, are you serious about prayer? It's just right there in the scripture, right? But ask the Lord, does my life show that I take prayer seriously? I mean, your life would show that you take a lot of things seriously, right? I don't know what they would be, but your life would show that whatever you take seriously, your life would show that. Like football. If you take football seriously, your life would show that. Whatever it is. If you take your Bible seriously, your life would show that. And so here he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now, if you want to go a little deeper, this word, 
in the Greek, it, it means disciplined or self-restrained. Boy, I really like that. Disciplined or self-restrained. So what is the biblical admonition to people like me? Be disciplined in prayer. What's the number one thing that I have lacked historically in my 33 years of being a follower of Jesus Christ? When it comes to prayer, what's the number one thing that I've lacked? Discipline. I've known for so long that I ought to be a person of prayer. There have been, been times in my life where I've wanted to, to be a person of prayer. I'll wake up the next morning and realize, oh, I never prayed. Has that ever happened to you? Like you'll think, oh, I should really pray. But then you don't. Somebody tells you something, you say, I'll pray for that. But you don't sometimes, right? It's just discipline. Now, I'm going to throw this out there. I'm very much on a journey. In fact, I don't know if anybody really arrives when it comes to these things. But I'm very, very much on a journey. And um, one thing that has massively helped me with this discipline in prayer is that I've purposed, to the best of my ability, to pray with a different brother Monday through Friday um, every week. And that has hugely helped. Now, of course, I'm not saying give up your own private discipline, right? You read the Word of God. I've added reading a, a book besides that to that time. And then I spend my time with the Lord in prayer. But at some point during that day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, by the way, pray about who the Lord would have you to labor with in prayer. With Skype, you can labor with a missionary in Africa. What a joy. I do more corporate praying on a telephone or on Skype than any other way in my life these days. Years ago, four or five years ago, that was a completely foreign concept to me. Steve Price said on a cell phone, he said, let's pray. And I thought to myself, can you do that? <laughs> right? I just didn't, I didn't know, you know, and then, and then realized, oh, this works. Like, you can do that. And, well, I do that more these days than any other way, corporately. But boy, has that helped. 8 o'clock on Mondays, this brother. 9.30 on Tuesdays, this brother. And on and on and on. Um, never one time in my whole life have I said to a brother, it used to be more on a local level, now it's, it's on a different level, but I've never said to a brother, why don't you come over Thursday morning, we'll pray together. And then he comes to the door, I go to the door, answer it. Never one time in my whole life have I said, you know, I just don't feel like it. Like there's times Thursday morning where I don't feel like dragging myself out of bed. But out of pure shame, you drag yourself out of bed if somebody's going to be there at 6 o'clock in the morning, right? And so, and so it just helps with discipline. I'm not even saying that it's the way it should be. If I was more admirable, if I was more disciplined, if I was more mature, then maybe I wouldn't need the encouragement. But boy, it's been a huge blessing to me to help with this, um, to, to the discipline of prayer. Uh, by the way, we've already looked at the activity of prayer, the relationship of prayer. This is the attitude of prayer, the attitude. We should be serious about prayer. Corporately, we should be serious about prayer. In Acts 17, the disciples of the living God turned the world upside down. Do you remember that verse? Are we turning the world upside down? Honestly. If we went away tomorrow, who would notice? I'm not saying nobody, but who would notice? Seriously. We have 150,000 people in Topeka, Kansas. If we went away tomorrow, not that many people would notice. We see a fair number of people saved every year. Praise God. 
But we could live and die at this rate and we would never even reach Jerusalem. Every generation has to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the thing about generations. Like you could see an amazing revival and then 20 years later you would need to see the work done again. We sit on the edge of desperately needing a fresh work of God. We have 530 million people in North America that need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the coming generation. Are you turning the world upside down? Boy, I think if we begin to see how the Lord sees, I think it will drive us to our knees. Um, Parents, please be serious about prayer. Please decide tonight, as a married couple, that when we raise our kids... We want them to look back and know that mom and dad took prayer seriously. There are huge regions of North America that in the assemblies where no young couple comes to the prayer meeting. Now, I don't know what it's like here. I didn't ask. In fact, I would kind of assume that that's not true. Don't correct me if I'm wrong. There are big regions of North America where that's a cultural expectation. The young families don't come to the prayer meeting. And then you see their kids grow up. And I've been in this whole life long enough that I see their kids eventually, they don't come to prayer meeting when they're teenagers, and then they just drift away. Please, in in light of the revelation of God, to be serious about prayer, covenant before God and together, that one thing we want is that when our kids grow up, we want them to know that we took prayer seriously. So when something had to give in life, It wasn't going to be prayer. If we're going to see a fraction of what we're asking the living God for in a coming generation, then we, the people of God, have to learn to lay hold of the living God in prayer. We've lost this. The attitude of prayer. Uh, Be serious. Be serious about prayer. Okay, let's look at one more for our purposes tonight. Romans chapter 15, if you would. Romans chapter 15, I love this one. Romans chapter 15, one little verse, verse number 30. Now I beg you, I don't know if I'll ever do this or not, but I think it'd be fun to put together a series of messages for a conference on that little phrase, now I beg you. Um, You could title the conference, Things the Apostle Paul Begged For. And so here, this is one of those things. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. If you're taking notes, this is the partnership of prayer. The partnership of prayer. The word strive, it means contend along with or to share in a contest. To contend along with or to share in a contest. The Apostle Paul is begging them, be part of my work by striving in prayer with me. 
You know, years ago, three, four, five years ago, I never would have stood before the people of God and said, pray for me. I would have felt like that's selfish. I would have said, pray for this and pray for this and pray for this. But I would have felt like, no, that'd be misguided to say, pray for me. And then I kept reading my Bible and over and over and over and over again, the Apostle Paul says, pray for me. So without any hesitation whatsoever, I say, if nothing else, pray for me. And I mean this. I mean this. I, I, I feel the need of prayer many times more than I ever have in my life. I feel the spiritual warfare. At times it's tormenting. I feel the weight of 530 million souls in North America. At times it's tormenting. My burden is not light, but it's simple. It's the 530 million souls that need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a coming generation. If you can get on board with that, please strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. I would love that. There's a lady back home that is a prayer warrior in my life. And um, boy, she is such a joy and she's such a blessing. She prays for me every day. That's such a gift. And I love that she sent me her list, the way she prays for me. It was edifying just reading the list of the way this godly warrior prays for me. Now, of course, my application isn't stop with that. But, but labor in the work of God through prayer. It's the partnership. There's a group of men in the Midwest that pray for 50 new assemblies in the Midwest in a coming generation and 500 new assemblies across North America in a coming generation. We're seeing that happen right in front of our eyes. It's such a joy. It doesn't happen quickly. It's not like a boom. It happens over time. A couple of years ago, we had a major outreach in Ottawa, Kansas, and we effectively reached the 13,000 souls uh, in Ottawa, Kansas. We reached every home. We had 150 posters up. There was enough stir in Ottawa, Kansas that the newspaper came in and interviewed some of the guys and published an article in the paper about what we were doing and our message and, and all the rest of it. It took a couple of years, but there's a brand new assembly in Ottawa, Kansas now. Praise the Lord. There's a brand new assembly in East Lawrence now. Praise the Lord. There's a Bible study in North Kansas City, and they just went to the oversight and asked permission to, to meet together separately with the view of becoming a new assembly in the Lord's time. Praise the Lord. It just goes on and on and on. The Lord is doing this work. William McDonald, I heard him say it twice. The Lord never does anything apart from believing prayer. It's how he works. Every major move of God is preceded. Every revival in this book is preceded by a burden for prayer. You study revival in church history. Every revival, to my knowledge, every single revival without exception was preceded by a burden for God's people to pray. So much of what we have, and I, I would guess that this is not true here. I hope that it's not true here. But so much of what we have in North America in our circles is a leftover of a great work of God several generations ago. We desperately need another great work of God today. The way the Lord does this is by a greater... Well, what is revival? Like tonight, we'll talk about revival praying, Lord willing. What is revival? It's a newfound obedience. It's a reading of the Word of God, realizing that we've fallen short. Repentance, 
and a newfound obedience. You're handing yourself over to him in a greater way. You're filled with the Spirit in a way that you weren't before, according to Ephesians chapter 5. Not indwelt, not baptized, not sealed, but filled. And then the people of God have a new life about them that they didn't before. And the Lord uses them in a way that they hadn't been free to be used before. That's revival. What is the filling of the Spirit? What is our, the believer's relationship to the Spirit? On and on and on and on. So the partnership, the partnership of prayer. Okay, so that's point number one. The Lord Jesus expects prayer. Now, for sake of time, I'm just going to give this to you. Um, point number two in my outline is the Lord Jesus modeled prayer. The Lord Jesus modeled prayer. And I'm intentionally not going to spend a lot of time on that here. You could go to Luke chapter 5, Mark chapter 1, John 17. You could go all over the place. He was a man of prayer. He rose up early and went off by himself to pray. Now, point number three, seeking to make this as practical as possible. Point number three in the outline, why do we not pray? Why do we not pray? Again, we'll talk about this as the weekend goes on too. Uh, letter A, we don't expect answers. I'm not saying this is true of everybody. But I run across people all the time that don't expect answers. Somebody two generations ahead of me in their Christian faith looked at me in the last month and said, prayer doesn't really change anything anyways. And they believe that. They don't expect answers. We tend to be pragmatic little creatures, right? If we don't expect that prayer is going to change anything, then we tend not to be a people of prayer. Letter B, a lack of closeness. If there's a lack of intimacy between you and the Lord, if you feel guilty when you come into his presence, rather than having a clear conscience. Isn't a clear conscience a beautiful gift from the Lord? Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Isn't that the place to live? It's such a joy. If you don't have a clear conscience tonight, that's the Lord's warning flag to you. Boy, please, I beg you that you'd make it right and come back to that place of a perfectly clear conscience before the Lord. A lack of closeness. Letter C, little awareness of need. Little awareness of need. We're American Christians. Uh, Chinese Christians came over to visit some time ago. They toured all over America. They saw our church buildings. They saw all these things. And they asked them before they went home to China, they said, what impresses you most about the church in America? Do you know what they said? The great things American Christians can do without God. They were amazed what we could do on our own without the Lord. Warren Henderson, he was over in China. He used to go year after year. And um, I heard him say it several times that he felt like he had never prayed before in his life. You'd get around in this circle at night and they would pray all night and they would get up in the morning and there would be a puddle from their tears in front of their faces. They would have prayed all night. He said it's work, it's labor, it's exhausting. And he said he felt like he'd never prayed before in his life when he prayed with those, with those dear Christians. We insulate ourselves and isolate ourselves and we have layers of insurances. And I'm not speaking against that. I'm just saying we're such an overwhelmingly physically blessed society that we could come to the conclusion that we don't need anything. Boy, we desperately need to see how Jesus Christ sees. If we look at the Christians and see the Christians how he sees them, it'll drive us to be a people of prayer. 
If you look at the lost and see even fractionally how Jesus Christ sees the lost, it'll drive you to be a person of prayer. Is that true? I have two kids. If a wicked, horrible man took my little daughter, how would you expect me to react to that? If she was lost and there was any chance that I could go find her, how would you expect me as a father to react to that? This is not my illustration, right? It's his illustration. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. It's his illustration. This is how I feel about those people. If we see them, how he sees them, how overwhelmingly precious every one of them are to him, it'll drive us to be a people of prayer. Um, Do you have a small God or a big God? Are you asking the Lord for for God-sized prayers? Are you asking the Lord for little things? My prayer life in high school was basically, Lord, please help me to pass this test that I didn't study for. That was, was pretty much the extent of it. I think I prayed for the food. I think I did. I don't remember, honestly, if I prayed when I was at school or not. But I think I did. I did my best to honor the Lord during those years by His grace. You know, you mature a little bit. Your prayer life grows a little bit. Are we asking big prayers of a, of a big God? Uh, I have a friend who's a full-time worker in Ontario, and I'll just say this once for the weekend. Forgive me if I've told you these things before. But his name's Jerry, and he's a wonderful servant of the Lord. Um, he was about to get evicted from his apartment. This is a generation ago. His kids are my age. And um, his daughter came home from school said, Daddy, on Monday I need to take this certain kind of eraser, this name brand eraser. I need to take this to school. His son came home and said, Daddy, I need to take a quarter to school with me on Sunday. He didn't have an eraser. He didn't have a quarter. They were about to get evicted from their apartment. Their car is broken down, right? They're in full-time work. And so they decide, okay, we're going to share these burdens with our kids this time. You don't always do that, but sometimes you do. So they sit down on the Friday. They say, we need an eraser. We need a quarter. We need money to pay the rent. And they pray about it as a family. They go through their Saturday, no answer to prayer. They get up on Sunday morning, they have their meager breakfast, they walk to the meetings at the assembly, they had a wonderful time with the Christians, came home, no answer to prayer. They decided, we're going to pray again. So they sat down, they prayed for a quarter, an eraser, and the money to pay the rent. Uh, Finally, Sunday afternoon, they decide as a family, we're going to go for a walk. And so they're, they're on a walk, they're walking along, and I don't remember if he said his little boy or his little daughter, I think it was Ruth. Um, ran down into the ditch, and there's a bag in the ditch. And so what does a little kid do when he sees a bag in a ditch? He kicks it, right? And so whichever one of the kids it was um, kicked this bag, and it sounded like something was in it. So they picked it up, and they went, oh! And they ran up out of the ditch, and he handed it to my friend Jerry. And uh, he reaches in, and he pulls out a brand-new name-brand eraser, He reaches in, he pulls out a quarter, and then he reaches in and he pulled out money, folded in half with a band around it. And now he felt, I don't think I would have even done this, but he felt before the Lord he should call the police and report this, right? And so so he called them and he told them, and uh, they basically said, you're crazy. Um, But they said, if anybody calls and says, I lost cash, um, then we'll give them your name. But other than that, it's yours. I mean, you found it. And so, and so there it was, and, he's, and his kids saw it. The Lord can provide a quarter, an eraser, and cash to pay the rent. Um, we have an Ebenezer box at home where we put little trinkets. After we see miracles, after we see the hand of God do things that only the hand of God can do, we'll buy a trinket and we'll put it in the box. Like my kids remember when, um, 
one of the Christians from the assembly came by. This is the only time this has ever happened in our life. We couldn't afford shoes for our kids. And um, we sat down and prayed about it. We needed a garage door because ours was broken. We needed shoes. And there was a third thing I can't remember. Anyways, um, one of the Christians came by within two hours and knocked on our front door. Huge smile on their face. And they said, we came by to buy your kids shoes. My kids still remember that, right? They see the hand of God. They see the hand of God move. And so all of this is just simply to ask the question, um, are you asking biblical-sized prayers of a biblical-sized God? Now, you don't have to pray like me. Um, I don't have the confidence of the Apostle Paul. Like, I wouldn't say, follow me as I follow Christ. But I'm going to tell you, I'm asking the Lord for Great Awakening 3. My Bible says that he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. I can imagine Great Awakening 1. I've read about it. I can imagine Great Awakening 2. I've read about it. There's nothing in this book that would say, just hold on and keep breaking bread and hope Jesus Christ comes back soon. There's nothing that would lead us to that conclusion. Every revival of the church age has happened under the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So until he comes back, I live in a generation that needs to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have a Savior who desperately wants to find that which is lost and is infinitely committed to that goal. So anyways, you pray how the Lord leads you. Um, A, B, C, D, E. A burden for lost souls. We've already really talked about that, so I won't belabor the point. Um, F, a lack of discipline. We already looked at it in the scripture, so really it's just a point of application. All of this is simply to say, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. That's Luke 11. So um, point number four in my outline, and then we'll take our break right after this. How do you learn to pray? If you're having a hard time uh, concentrating at this point, Please stick with me. I just have four simple little points. How do you learn to pray? And I don't mean learn like, like you know, a two-year-old. I mean, how do you go from where you are to being so much more like Jesus Christ in his prayer life than where we are right now? Uh, I have four points. First one, by praying. I know that that's simple, but it's so essential. It's first on purpose. Can you control an airplane more if it's in the air or if it's on the ground? In the air, right? If you commit yourself to praying, the Lord can teach you tremendous things about prayer. Uh, Second point, by meditating on God's word. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, Ezra 8, Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah 9, John 17. It goes on and on and on. What did they care enough to pray about? You could go through the entire book of Psalms this way. I know people that pray their way through the Psalms. By meditating on God's word, you learn a tremendous amount about prayer. Uh, Point number three, by praying with others. Practically, I would encourage you, please don't just choose somebody and run ask them to pray. Ask the Lord, maybe for months, ask the Lord, who do you want me to pray with? Let him lead you. I did this years ago. Lord, who do you want me to pray with? Who do you want me to pray with? Who do you want me to pray with? And I knew for months the Lord's direction. And then I finally went to this brother. He's an elder in our assembly now. I went to this brother. He's my age. And I said, would you like to get together once a week to pray? And he just lit up. He just had this huge smile on his face. And he said, he said, "Um, I've been waiting to ask you the same thing. It was neat. 
the Lord had led him and I to, to the same person. And that's my encouragement. Let the Lord lead you to a person that you can labor in prayer with. Maybe it'll be a ministry to help them. Maybe it'll be an older brother and you'll just learn a tremendous amount about prayer. Finally, number four. This is number four on purpose by reading about prayer. How do you learn to pray? By reading about prayer. Daniel Smith has a book on, on prayer. It's just titled Prayer. Layman Strauss, Sense and Nonsense About Prayer. Leonard Ravenhill, Revival Praying. It just goes on and on and on. There's tremendous works. Daniel Smith. I, sorry, I don't remember if I mentioned that one. But um, anyways, there's so many good books. Ask the shepherds here for suggestions on books on prayer. Um, anyways, we'll keep going after our break. Let's, let's take a break. Father, we just want to give you thanks for the opportunity to look at your word and to discuss these things. Lord, you're a good God. You love this assembly more than anybody loves this assembly. And I pray, Father, that you would, by your omnipotent power, remove anything and everything that would hinder your perfect work over the course of this weekend. Father, we already read it tonight, that, that it's a biblical prayer to pray that the saints will stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Father, we pray specifically with this subject of prayer that you would please move in this assembly. Father, if, you, if it has to be a, a tune-up, a small turn of a screw, then we pray for that. But Lord, so often it's so much more than that. If, it's, if it needs to be radical repentance, then we pray for that. Father, we only have one chance to live this life for Jesus Christ, and then we give an account. We're getting killed out there, Lord. We're falling apart. Marriages are falling apart. Assemblies are falling apart. Our testimony to a large degree lies in ruins in so many places in North America. Father, we desperately need to learn what it is to be a people of prayer. Please, Father, don't allow us to be intellectually taught this weekend without applying it to our lives. Father, we don't want to just know. We definitely want to rightly divide the word of truth. But we don't want to stop there. We want to be like your son. Father, you who began a good work in us, please complete it in this whole realm of prayer. We just cast ourselves like little needy children at your feet. And we pray that you would please minister to us all throughout this weekend. Lord, we ask even that this break would be a profitable time and that you would give us physical health, strength, uh, mental stamina in the time to come. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.